0: So I don't know if you know this, but um, depending upon the part of the country that you find yourself in, different words mean different things. So for example, is this pop or is this Coke? It depends upon the part of the country that you come from, right? How about this one? What about dinner? When do you have dinner? Do you have dinner in the middle of the day or do you have dinner in the evening? Or, for some people, it's like at midnight, right? Um, What about this particular phrase um, when I would say something like this, um, bless your heart? What what does that phrase mean? Bless his heart. (laughs) Once we get married, he won't be watching as much football. Bless her heart. Oh, oh, hey, hey, guys. Yeah. Next one, next time, next time. Bless his heart. Bless her heart. Oh, oh. come on. Bless his heart. heart. So when you say bless your heart, what do you mean? Don't tell me. I don't want to know, right? Just say bless your heart and I'll think the best of you. But that, even that word blessed has, a, has a, actually a rich background because when you think about the word blessed, it could mean, well, um, I feel blessed because of what other things have happened to me in my life, right? I'm blessed. Or it could be a word that would reference other people in my life. I would say something like, my wife is such a blessing. But however you happen to use that word, um, for those of us who know God and know how God works in our life, what we recognize is that I have blessings in my life that have nothing really to do with me. It has to do with God and how God wants to work in my life. Now, in the New Testament, there are two really key words that are translated blessed. Um, There are others, but there are two predominant ones. The first one means to speak well of. I pronounce a blessing on someone. For example, Mark 10, 16, Jesus took the children in his arms. He placed his hands on them and he blessed them. So he was speaking well to them. He was speaking a blessing into their life. The other side of it, it it means to live in a, a state of blessing. And so the most famous would be the Beatitudes, like, for instance, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So what does it look like um, for a believer, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, to live in this state of blessing? So over and over again in Scripture, in the Old Testament the New Testament, um, we, we find a multitude of promises that say, you are blessed when this, you are in a state of blessing because of that. But all of them have to do with I receive God's blessing because I, I live in the pathway that God wants me to live. In other words, I'm following God's will for my life. And God's will is always the way of generosity, of being open handed. That's why Jesus said it is more blessed, there's that word, to give than to receive. And I want to live that way, I want to live in God's blessings. Not so that I, you know, I'm going to have more I can enjoy, but so that God can work through me, because that's when the real difference is made in my life, and that's what I want for all of us. That's what I want for our whole church family, for us to understand and to be able to live in the blessing of God. And so we begin a new series today simply entitled, Blessed, and it's a learning to let God multiply. Um... We all need God working in our lives because if God's not working in our life, then what that means is I am way less than I could ever become if I know God is working in my life. God wants to take what you have and what I have our time, um, our experience, our passion, our, our relationships, the jobs that we have. You know, God wants to take all of those kind of things and God wants to multiply that so that we can be a blessing to the people around us and the world around us. That's why God wants to work in and through every single one of us. And so when I open up my heart and my hands to others, what I'm doing is I'm letting God work through me, and that's to live this life of blessing. And so this series is about learning to let God live through us in us, and through us. Now, i got to make an honest confession to you. Whenever I talk about, um, you know, from a religious standpoint, I talk about, you know, God blessing us. I struggle a little bit with that. And the reason I struggle with that a little bit is because there have been a segment of the church that have hijacked that term, that term of living blessed, um, to mean that I'm living blessed, God's happy with me if I drive a Tesla or a Bentley, or if I have, you know, a huge amount of money, or if I never have any kind of illness, like I'm not going to get COVID, or if somehow or another I have no stress in any of the relationships, that's what God means when he says, I want you to be blessed. And you find that kind of teaching nowhere in scripture. In fact, we often find the opposite, that to really live the life God wants us to live means I'm going to have some struggle in my life. So it isn't that God doesn't want us to enjoy good things in our life. It's that God has so much more in mind. And what God has in mind is beyond our ability to fully comprehend. So I want God's blessings working in my life because anything less, would be, anything less than that would be less than. I, I wouldn't be the th- person that God wants me to become. And so what we're going to do in this series, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is just spend some time exploring what does that mean? for God to be in our lives and to live through us in a blessing. So here's what Robert Morris said. He said, being blessed means having supernatural power working for you. By contrast, being cursed means having supernatural power working against you. A blessed man or woman may or may not be wealthy by the world's standards, but they enjoy a quality of life that most billionaires would envy blessings permeate every aspect of a person's life their health relationships work family emotions and thoughts so that's what we're going to talk about we're not talking about having a blessed wallet or a blessed 401k and so we're going to begin with this particular truth in order to live a life most blessed you got to pay attention to your heart You got to pay attention to what God's doing in and through us. You have to pay attention to your heart. So I want to begin with a familiar passage of Scripture. Um, You may not, you'll know it, you may not even know it comes from Scripture, but it's from Matthew chapter 7 in which Jesus says these words. He says, do not judge or you will be judged, right? We've all heard people say that. Do not judge or you will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, there's two kind of key pieces to this, right? There's the command, don't judge, or you will be judged. And then there's kind of the result of that, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So that's how Matthew records these words of Jesus. Now, when you move to Luke, Luke has both of those words or phrases, but he pulls them apart and he puts some other words in the midst of what Jesus says there. And it begins to give us a greater understanding. So here's Luke 6 beginning in verse 37. So here's Jesus' words, do not judge and you will not be judged, right? That's what Matthew wrote. And then at the end, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Again, that's how we ended it, but look what's in the middle. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, that 38th verse which starts given will be given to you that's a verse that's commonly used to talk about giving right if i give a lot of money back to if i give a lot of money to god he's going to give a lot of money back to me but here's the question do you see the word money anywhere in that particular verse no it's not there at all you can't find it there at all in truth what jesus is revealing and what kind of luke Kind of opens the door up a little more to, is a universal principle that applies to, to all of our lives. And that principle is this, what Jesus is teaching is this, that what I give out, that's going to come back to me. That's going to be given back to me. So if I give out judgment, what's going to come back to me? That's not a rhetorical question. If I give out judgment, what's going to come back to me? Judgment. Thank you very much. If I give out condemnation, I'm going to get condemnation back. But if I give out forgiveness or mercy or grace... I'm going to give that back. In other words, with the measure I use, what I give up, give out, how much I give out, that's what's going to be measured back to me. It's this universal principle of that you always receive back more than you give. So if you take a tomato seed and you plant a tomato seed in the ground, you're not going to just get back a tomato seed. It's going to become a plant that will grow and eventually become large enough that it's going to start having fruit on it, and you're going to start having not just one tomato, but a multitude of tomatoes, especially if you're Ed Hinch and you're good at that. And you're you're not going to just have one seed in one of those tomatoes, but you're going to have a multitude of seeds. In other words, you always get back more than you give out. I always receive more than I give out. So many well-meaning preachers, and I would have to include myself in that, most oftentimes, use that part of the verse, give and it will be given unto you, as a way to motivate people to give money to the church, right? I give and it will be given back to you. But the motivation is not getting something back. The motivation here is that our heart starts becoming changed. When I begin to give out things like forgiveness... In grace, and mercy. When I begin to become this generous person like God is generous, something begins to happen to our heart. And it is the heart or our motives that God is most interested in. I mean, that's what he's looking for. Um, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 2, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Our motives, God knows what they are. James confronts this directly when he says this, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with, here it is, wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so when it comes to pleasing God and living our life in line with his kingdom principles, our heart is really what matters. It's what makes the biggest difference. It is a heart issue. So that's what I want us to talk about for the next few moments. How do I... Let my heart be changed. How do I ensure that my heart is l- lined up to what God wants? So, again, I want to invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Um, it's the fifth book in the Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Thank you. Deuteronomy 15. You can use the YouVersion app. But let me set this up because we learn four different things about our hearts being changed from this passage. But The passage is very interesting. So the first six verses of Deuteronomy 15 shares with us that one of the laws of Israel is that every seven years, all the debts would be canceled. Every seven years, every debt would be canceled. Anybody wish we could bring that particular law back into play, right? Get rid of all of those debts, yeah. I guess you want it brought back depending upon which side of the debt you happen to be on, right? Am I the lender or am I the payer back? But what this passage is, is a great passage that helps us deal with our heart, but it's a part of God's laws. And when one of the things that most people struggle with with God's laws when we look at them is that it's like, you know, I, I can do these things and I can't do these things. they are like limits and restrictions. But underlying every one of God's laws is the character and nature of God that's revealed to us. And this is a passage that reveals that our God is a generous God. God is a merciful and compassionate God. And he gives this law through Moses. So Moses is the leader of the children of Israel. That's who this is being written to. Uh, Moses, who loved these people, though he was often annoyed with them, but they deserved that annoyance. But he still loved them. And so it's like God is giving a law to reveal his character, but he's doing that through Moses. And it's like just the heart and the you know, the shepherding mentality of Moses really comes through in this particular passage. And so here, here's what's going on. You're an Israelite, okay? Everybody's listening. You're an Israelite, and you are doing well, and so somebody comes to you, and they're asking you for a loan. They need some help. They have a great need, and so they come to you. So here is Deuteronomy 15 verse 7. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted and tight-fisted toward them, rather be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. All right, so they've come to you with this need. You, You have this kind of command. And so now, how do we deal with our heart? How do we change our heart? Number one, we have to deal with a selfish heart. And so he goes on in verse 9. He says, be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. So they've come to you, right? They have a need, and God says, when they have a need, be careful not to have this wicked thought. And what is that wicked thought? The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near. That's the thought. He said, don't have that thought. He goes on, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing, they may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. So, again, what's going on here? An Israelite comes to you, he says, I lost my job, you know, I got furloughed because of COVID and now I lost my job. I can't buy food for my family. They come to you and say, can I get some money from you? Would you loan me some money? And what Moses is saying is don't have this thought. Uh Uh-oh, the year of canceling debts is only six months away. If I give this guy some money, I may not get that money back. He may not be able to repay me. And if those six months goes by, I've got to cancel that debt to him. And what does God call this? Verse 6 here. He calls this a wicked thought. And what's a wicked thought? It's a selfish thought that thinks, I can't help this guy out because the seventh year is coming and I might not get anything back from him. I'm not going to get anything out of it. In fact, I probably will lose my money. That's the selfish thought that he's saying. Don't have that. And God clearly labels selfishness as a wicked thought. And it's so subtle, right? Because selfishness whispers that if I give this, I'm not going to have enough. Or if I give this, maybe God won't be able to come through at this particular time and help me out. Or it whispers to us, they're just conning you. They're just scamming you. And God clearly says, look, Don't have this wicked thought. But we all wrestle with this kind of thought. If we're honest, we all do, right? Because we're all born selfish. If you don't think we're born selfish, just try to ask your husband when you're at a restaurant to share some of his food with you at that restaurant. Guys don't like to share their food. We don't want to do that, right? Now, ladies are very generous. They don't mind doing that. But guys, they don't want to share their food. We all wrestle with this. So the first thing Moses, you know, God speaking through Moses says, you got to deal with your selfish heart, and all of us do. So how do we confront that selfish heart? Number two, by dealing with a grudging heart. So he goes on in verse 10. He says, give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart, then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in everything you put your hand to. So selfishness attacks us before we give, begrudging or this grieving attacks us after we give. I mean, it usually happens, you know, you make this decision, okay, I'm going to be generous. There, Maybe there's a you know some kind of local charity you want to help out, or you know, somebody who has a big need it could be in your family or somebody else, or you know, maybe it's through some appeal at church, and so you make this choice. You know, we make this choice to be generous. What generally happens the next day? The car breaks down, or the washing machine breaks down, and the thought can come to our minds if we're honest. It's like, I knew I should have held on to that, I knew I shouldn't have given that away. See, the the second issue with our heart is this grudging heart. It gives, but then we begrudge that we gave that away. I mean, that can happen if we feel pressure to give or somebody puts a, you know, the guilt trip on it. It can happen when we think, ah, you know, I could have used that money for something else. But if you're filled with regret after being a blessing, does that please God? He says, no, give without being grieved, without grudging that you have given. So then how do we continue to deal with this selfish, grudging heart? Moses goes on. He talks about developing a generous heart. So we'll move down to verse 14. He says there, Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor and your winepress. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. So God says, look, When they come to you, and so this is kind of in that same circumstance, they come to you, don't think to yourself, oh no, it's almost the seventh year, you know, I'm going to have to cancel this particular debt. What are we supposed to do? He says, supply them, he even uses the word liberally. Why? Because he goes on, give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. In other words, it's this understanding that it all comes from God. It's his. So let's say I imagine that I need to go to Micro Center this afternoon, and so I need one of you to give me 50 bucks. Anybody got 50 bucks that you want to give me? Jeff, thank you very much. So Jeff's got 50 bucks for me. It was so kind and generous of you, Jeff. That's great. Put that in my pocket. Now, the reason Jeff gave me that 50 bucks is because it's mine, and I gave it to him before church, right? So do you think Jeff was sad that he gave me that 50 bucks? Uh, maybe a little bit, but probably not. Why not? Because it wasn't his, right? I gave it to him beforehand. He just simply was returning to me what was mine. The only reason we can't be generous is because somehow we think, it all belongs to me. Nothing you have, nothing I have, belongs to us. It is, as Moses says here, it is God blessing us. Everything we have comes from God. And when we understand that it's not ours in the first place, it changes our whole attitude towards that and how we help other people out. Robert Morris also said this, he says, whenever I observe a Christian operating selfishly, I know I'm looking at a person who either does not know or has forgotten that it all belongs to God. They are acting like an owner, not a steward. And even God says through Moses, it's like don't just meet their basic need." He talks about, he uses the word generously and he uses the word liberally here. And the reason is, is because we know how much God has done for us. We know the blessings that God has given to us. We can be generous because God has been so generous to us. Why do you think God created the command to give in the first place? The answer most people would have, well, you know, so we could you know support churches or ministries or missionaries or charities you know that's why god wanted us to give but think about it for a minute does god really need our money i mean you know is is it like god can't pay the light bill up in heaven so he needs us to give him money or he's running out of gold to pave the streets of gold or the cattle on a thousand hills are now down to one cow or something like that god doesn't need any of our money so why does god create giving because giving more than any other activity a believer does, works selfishness and greed out of our lives. So several years ago, we had a gentleman here in the church, um, he's since passed away. Um, <clears throat> but myself and a couple of the ladies of the church, we just, we just started helping this guy. I mean, he was a good guy, but he was all alone, had no, his wife, he was divorced, he had no kids, no family around. But he was uh, an alcoholic that just never seemed to be able to stay in recovery. But it just, I just felt this sense uh, that I should help this guy out when he needed it. And you need to understand, that's not my normal tendency. It really isn't. But in this case, it was like if you needed to go to the doctor, I'd take him. If you need to run an errand, you know, I would do any of that kind of stuff. But I, I always had this voice in the back of my mind, because he had no kids, he had no family, and the guy was a little bit well off, and I kept thinking, you know, if I do this, I might get something good out of this deal. And that bothered me so much that I couldn't just help a guy because he needed help, but it was like I kept, I kept having to deal with that thought and say, no, that's, you know, it's like you understand that, most of you do, because you wrestle sometimes with the same thought. It's like, maybe I can get something out of this particular deal. And it was a challenge to me to put that voice down. But the best way to battle selfishness is just to say, I'm just going to help somebody out when the need comes, when the opportunity comes along. Because again, giving more than any other activity you and I do. It really deals with the selfishness and greed in our heart. What we need to do is we need to remember the work a generous act does on our hearts. So finally, we need to develop a grateful heart. So he goes on in verse 15. He says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. Why would... God want them to remember that they were slaves in Egypt. The reason is because it would fill their heart with gratitude for what God had done for them. See, they had been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. They had no ability or power to be able to get out of that. It was God who came down and demonstrated His power. It was God who redeemed them. That's the word for buying something back. It was God who was the one who set them free. Now, we aren't slaves in Egypt, but according to Romans 6, we're slaves to sin. And there's absolutely nothing we could do to set ourselves free from the burden of that sin. And so that's why Jesus Christ came. He came to redeem us. To redeem means it's the, the ransom price demanded for freedom. He came to redeem us, His life, His blood. He gave His life so that I could have freedom from sin. And so I don't have to any longer be enslaved to the passions that I had at one time because I've been set free from what God has done for me. To remember my past is to provide me with this sense of overwhelming gratitude to say, look at what God's done that I'm not the person that I used to be because of God's work in my life today. To remember my past gives me this sense of overwhelming gratitude. So next Sunday night at 6 o'clock <clears throat> would normally be, for us as a church family, our annual celebration, our Thanksgiving dinner. I love it. I enjoy it just because it's the only time in the whole year that us as a, we, we as a whole church can be together in one place. And this year, because of COVID, we can't do that. COVID has created many problems through this whole year. So many things, it's hard to count that. But what we want to do as a church family is we want to celebrate with you. And so Phil and Brandy and Ellie and I are going to be live on stage. We want you to join us at home. You can have your Thanksgiving dinner there at home, 6 o'clock next Sunday night. And we're going to commiserate together about how much we hate COVID, okay, because we all do, but then we're going to also begin to shift that and think, okay, so what has God done in me or my family or my life in spite of COVID or maybe as a result of COVID? Because I know I've had conversations with some of you and you've shared about some of the good things that have happened in the midst of a terrible circumstance. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate together and we're going to spend some time just talking about, all right, this, was, this is terrible, but look at the things that God has done because to remember my past, even the recent past, is to provide me a sense of overwhelming gratitude. I mean, we cannot live without the blessings of God. I mean, sure, some people exist, but that's not real living. The life that God has in mind for every one of us is so beyond our ability to even fathom. We have all these dreams and plans, these things we think we should do that somehow just kind of, you know, take God out of the equation. It's like, no, I want us to live in the midst of God's generosity and His love and His blessing because He wants to work in and through us to do amazing things in the world around us. But in order to be blessed by God, you must pay attention to your heart. So what I want us to do for the next couple of minutes, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to quietly sing a song together. I just want you to stay seated where you're at. Those of you are at home, you know, just join us where you're at. It's, it's, It's an Old Testament blessing. The priests would make this blessing over God's people, and we're gonna sing this song together, and the power of its message and the implication in our life is that we have a God who loves us, who is gracious towards us. He is such a generous God, and he wants us to see what can happen when we choose to follow him in this way of generosity. So I'm going to pray for us and then just stay where you're seated and we're going to worship together as we sing this song. Father God, we love you. You are so good and gracious to us, Lord. You've done so many good things in our life in spite of the difficult circumstances we face. Lord, we ask you to to do a work in our selfishness, and the struggles that we have with being tight-fisted and closed-hearted. Lord, help us to open our heart to, to you so that you can open our hearts to other people as well. Thank you for your rich blessings. In your most precious name we pray. Amen.